Hello everyone, welcome back to History Snippets. My name is Aaron, and today I'm going to read a snippet from history to my friend Sky, who has no clue who, what, or when I'm going to be reading about. Good evening, Sky. Hello everyone. I'm really excited. You seem very giddy right now. <laughs> Sky literally just got home and sent me a message that he was home, and I just like instantly called him on Skype, and I was like, I just finished this, we have to record it right now! <laughs> <laughs> like I did I wrote this entire thing like the course of like two hours just hoped up on coffee. So let's um uh, I'm so excited. Okay. okay. Molasses was first mentioned in 1582 in a Portuguese book about their conquest over the West Indies. I am scared already. Um yeah. <laughs> Sticky, sweet, history. Yeah. Okay. The word molasses comes from the Portuguese word molasso, I think. The C has a squiggle under it. So I'm going to pronounce it like an S. I don't know. Uh, but that word then again comes from the Latin word mel, which means honey. Uh, molasses is a dark brown, thick, extremely viscous product made from refined sugar cane or sugar beets. It has a heavy wooden taste and is also extremely sweet. Now, I'm an American, but I do live in Norway. Now, as an American, I know exactly what molasses is, but I know that a lot of my Norwegian friends have not heard of this. It's not that common outside of, like, Canada, U.S., and, like, some European countries. I know, like, France and Spain, for example, you can find molasses. Uh, but, yeah, basically, it's, it's just – it's syrup. It's a type of really thick syrup. Like, think mm. honey on steroids. It is so dense. It is so thick. So, soon after its discovery – Molasses began being exported to the U.S. from the West Indies by the British to make rum and to be used as a sweetener because it was far cheaper than white sugar. Naturally, the British tried to apply high taxes in 1733 through the Molasses Act, but everyone in the U.S., all the colonists, just ignored the extra taxes and didn't pay them. So the British just repealed the act themselves in 1764 and just gave up because like no one paid it. <laughs> That's one way to overcome yeah. it, like a law. It's it's either that or we're gonna throw it in the, the ocean. Like it's we've got yep. two ways of doing this. So, um, for the next 120 years, molasses would be the most popular sweetener in the United States for being cheaper, sweeter, and more dense, so easier to ship than white sugar. <clears throat> During World War One, the Allied governments agreed to coordinate and control the prices and distribution of common household products such as white sugar. Now, white sugar, uh, for the first time in history, was cheaper than molasses, and people began shifting over from molasses to white sugar. When the war ended in 1918, the U.S. decided to keep its wartime low price of 7 cents per pound of white sugar, which a year later dropped to 5 cents per pound after the Cuban market crashed and Americans just bought up, like, every sugar plantation there. Yeah. Um... So by the end of 1919, a uh, year after the war ended, the consumption of white sugar was double what it had been in 1880, 40 years prior, and many Americans had entirely replaced molasses in their cooking with white sugar. I suspect Big Molasses wasn't happy about that. This naturally had a devastating effect on anyone invested in molasses, mm -hmm. with factories lowering their production or shutting down entirely as the demand plummeted. One such factory was the Purity Distilling Company, located in Boston between Willow Street and modern-day Everetsi Way in Cambridge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're pretty good at kind of predicting those things like a sentence before I say it. <laughs> <clears throat> now, 
The factory had already been in hard times since the white sugar price dropped during the war, and they'd been barely getting by. But molasses can be stored for quite some time without going bad because it's just so sweet. It doesn't rot. It doesn't mold. Um, and if it's stored, it will ferment itself into rum and ethanol, of which there is a very high demand for during the war as it can be used in munitions. Since the purity distilling factory suddenly had a lot of molasses on stock when the demand plummeted and it wasn't going bad anytime soon, they needed space to store it. So they began constructing a massive storage tank where they could ferment it. In 1915, during World War I, they had a 15-foot tall, 15 meters, no, sorry, they had a 50-feet tall, aka 15 meters, Mm -hmm. 90-foot wide, 27 meters storage tank built at 529 Commercial Street near Keeney Square. The storage tank was massive. It could hold... 2,300,000 U.S. gallons. This is 8,700 cubic meters of syrup. This is about 26 million pounds of molasses, or 12 million kilos, roughly 12,000 tons, or 13 if you're using U.S. tons, of molasses. And it sits roughly four floors up on the ground. Brilliant. This is is a water tower of molasses that weighs 12 thousand tons it's 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter i am scared it very much is huge the construction was finished within a few months with the massive tank casting a shadow over the neighborhoods of boston literally (laughs) (laughs) but the construction had been done on a very thin budget because the factory didn't have a lot of money and it was rushed (sighs) the steel was half the thickness it needed to be for a tank of that size to hold water. It was a tank of that size holding a liquid of far more weight and density. But why? Multiple employees tried to warn the factory owners of the structural issues, but nothing was done. The tank often sprung leaks, which were simply patched with a dude crawling up with a welding torch. This is not regulation standard, as simply fusing a crack only delays the fault. (laughs) Within months, the company got tired of citizens reporting the cracks because they could see the syrup dripping down the Mm -hmm. side of the tank. So they painted the tank brown so you could no longer (laughs) see the syrup running down the sides. They no longer got reports about it leaking. Uh, That is dementedly (laughs) brilliant. I mean, it's a disaster waiting to happen. You have And no it's going idea. to happen. I I wouldn't be writing a snippet about it if this goes well. Hmm? You know that. Yeah, no, keep going. <clears throat> the huge tank constantly groaned and creaked, which could be heard like distant thunder throughout South Boston, all the way to the harbor. God, imagine walking by that thing. It just starts creaking. You can, you can kind hear of it barely up to tell 12 it's drifting. blocks away. <sighs> this was because the fermentation process let out CO2, increasing the internal pressure of the tank. Please tell me they were aware of that fact. No. <laughs> this went on for years during the war. By mm-hmm. 1919, year after the war ended, four years after the tank was constructed, Um, the Commercial Street inhabitants, which were 
the street running under the tank was Commercial Street. Mm. Uh, these were mostly Italian and Irish immigrant families. Were said that they'd uh, gotten used to the constant background ominous groans of the tank. <laughs> January 15th, 1919 was an unusual winter day. It started off frigid, sub-zero, below freezing. But then, over the course of about two hours, the temperature sharply rose. Within a couple of hours, by noon, it was over 40 degrees Fahrenheit, or 4 Celsius. And only hours before, it had been far below freezing. Mm -hmm. This sudden rise and change in temperature caused the metal of the tank to reshape itself slightly. And the molasses within, who had now been frozen all winter through, suddenly began to thaw and very rapidly ferment. This built pressure. At 12.40 p.m., and it's never good when I have the exact timestamp, <laughs> there was a loud, metallic roar. The Commercial Street inhabitants looked up to see the tank buckle in on itself. Then rivets began rapidly shooting out, described by one resident as machine gun-like fire as they embedded themselves into nearby buildings. <laughs> so rivets are embedding themselves into solid brick. And that's, that's how it starts. Within seconds, the tank buckled and collapsed to the ground. The impact shook the neighborhood and was described as a tremendous crash. Then, the front of the tank exploded open with a, quote, thunderclap-like bang. Out came a 25-foot, 8-meter-tall wave of molasses that traveled at 36 miles per hour or 56 kilometers per hour. A molasses tsunami. It's 25 feet tall and is traveling at 36 miles per hour. Holy so, let's talk God. about this for a second, because I'm sure you might be wondering, I was wondering, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are wondering, how can a substance more dense, more viscous, more sticky than honey move with such a speed? Now, the answer has to do with some rather complicated fluid dynamics, and I tried reading an article on some students from Harvard about this exact event, and I gave up in the prelude. So, um, <laughs> basically, when a dense fluid spreads horizontally into a less dense fluid, in this case, cold winter air, it will gain momentum even if it has no energy pushing it. Hmm. You notice this if you open your door during winter, the cold air flows into your apartment, right. yeah, not yeah, out, yeah. even mm. if there's no wind, yeah. right? So, <clears throat> now secondly, molasses is very, very, very dense. So getting it moving is tough. But that's out of the question now. It doesn't have to get moving. It fell four floors and burst out. So the movement, it already has that momentum. Now, that weight is not something that keeps it still, but something that keeps it moving. As the molasses wave began, it kept on gaining momentum from its own weight and gravity. Thirdly, molasses becomes more viscous when cold, so it only got denser and faster the longer it moved through the winter air. <clears throat> So it's solidifying, crushing everything in its past, and getting faster. It's 25 feet tall at 36 at 25 feet tall. That's 8 meters at 56 oh, kilometers an hour. God. Imagine standing in the road when that thing oh, approaches you. Oh, we've got some you. descriptions. Oh, yeah? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, sorry about the coughing. Now back to the wave. Quote from the Boston Post. A rumble, a hiss... Some say a boom and a swish, 
and the wave of molasses swept out. That's straight up Dr. Zeus almost. <laughs> the 25-foot-tall wave crashed through Commercial Street at 36 miles per hour, utterly destroying and engulfing everything in its way. First, it hit the girders of an elevated railroad bridge. So in Boston, there's those elevated train tracks going through the yeah, city. Yeah. It tore the bridge girders out of the ground and crushed it beneath itself. The train <laughs> on the top was tipped over, pushed clean off the tracks, and thrown into a nearby building. Cars were crushed. People and horses disappeared under the brown wave. Because it's just rolling that's, over itself like a steamroller. That's horrifying. Just <clears throat> Eight-year-old Antonio Di Stasio, his sister Maria, and their friend Pasquale Iantosca were playing near the tank when the accident occurred. Oh, no. They didn't have any time to run when the tank fell on top of them. Oh, no. The wave came out and instantly engulfed them. Maria was pulled into the wave and disappeared beneath it. Pasquale was thrown and smashed into a railroad car, and Antonio was thrown into a light pole. Maria drowned in the syrup. Pasquale was crushed to death against the railroad car over the, cor uh, car over the course of minutes. It's heavy. Yeah. Antonio would be the only survivor, albeit suffering from a terrible head wound. It split him open was the description. Um, his experience was later described by Edwards Park for an article for the Smithsonian in 1983. Quote, Anthony Stasio, walking homeward with his sisters from the Michelangelo School, was picked up by the wave and carried, tumbling on its crest almost as though he was surfing. Then he was grounded and the molasses rolled him like a pebble as the wave diminished in front of him. He heard his mother call his name, but he couldn't answer her as his throat was so clogged with the smothering goo. He quickly passed out. He later opened his eyes to find three of his four sisters staring at him. Now, because this liquid tries to get into everywhere, if you open your mouth when you're in it, it pushes yeah. its way into your throat. Oh, that is horrifying. <clears throat> now, keep in mind, this is like honey on steroids. Yeah. Literally cannot picture a worse thing to drown in. No. I can't. I, I will take anything over this. I will Maybe drown hot sauce. Hot, no, I, I was literally going to say, I will drown in hot sauce over this. Because it slowly I, pushes mm. its way down your esophagus. Mm. And you don't have the muscle strength to get that back up. Hot sauce burns, though. Yeah, but this, is, this isn't even drowning. It's internal crushing. Yeah. This I see your point. terrible. But, yeah. Ugh. As the molasses moved on, as I said... It gained more speed, more density, and more weight. Within a couple blocks, it was powerful enough to tear buildings off their foundations, Holy. crushing them like a steamroller as it pushed them along in front of it. The wave made the buildings, quote, cringe up as though they were made of pasteboard. The Engine 31 firehouse was pulled clean off of its foundation and lifted up by the wave which caused the second floor of the firehouse to collapse into the first one. Across the street, the Claudie household was torn up from the ground, toppled over, and smashed into another elevated train platform. Both were obliterated. Martin Claudie, who was having a nap inside of the house, said, quote, I was in a bed on the third floor of the house when I heard a deep rumble. <clears throat> when I awoke, it was in several feet of molasses. 
He almost drowned in the syrup before he managed to get the strength to climb back onto his bed frame, which he used as a boat to wade through the molasses sea and save his sister, Teresa. But he could only watch as he slowly rowed towards his mother and younger brother as they drowned in the distance. You can't row in it. You can't move. Yeah. It just keeps pulling you in, basically. No, he was rowing as fast as he could. And it's not fast enough to reach his mother and brother who are across the street. And they drowned in front of him. Even after the wave passed, the blocks were left in two to three feet, nearly a meter of molasses, making any movement impossible. Like, even a foot of molasses slows you down. Three feet of molasses is waist high. You don't get through that. Mm. Quote from author Stephen Puglio of the Boston Post, Molasses, waist deep, covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled a form. Whether it was human or animal was impossible to tell. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about beneath the sticky mass showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men, and women suffered likewise. Like, this is just like straight out of a horror movie. Oh, it's dreadful. Because the more you thrash in it, the more you sink into it. Yeah. But if you stay still, it solidifies around you. So what do you do? You stay still and it cocoons around you and caramelizes in the winter air. And you're stuck in cement. If you move, you'll sink further into it. Fuck. There's nothing to do. Yeah. Towards the end, the wave had such a momentum, it created an air shockwave in front of it. Whoa. Quote from the Boston Post, people were picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. The shockwave threw debris around, which injured far more people. The shockwave in front picked up a truck and threw it into the Boston Harbor. Then as soon as it began, the wave stopped. Within seconds of it spreading too thin, it lost all of its momentum, crawled to a halt, and solidified. Within half a minute. Because it's being pushed on its own weight, and the second it spread too thin throughout the streets, it instantly stops and hardens. Just like a snap of the finger and it all stopped. That visual is just mind-boggling. In total, 21 people died, 150 injured. Dozens of horses, dogs, and cats were killed by the molasses wave. The air was so thick and so syrupy that any survivors in the area developed a nasty cough as their lungs were coated in sugar syrup. Oh. <clears throat> the Massachusetts Nautical School, now the Massachusetts Maritime Academy, had a training ship docked in the harbor when the molasses flood happened. They were the first to respond to the accident. 116 cadets, led by Lieutenant Commander H.J. Copeland <clears throat> from the USS Nantucket, rushed several blocks to the remains of the Commercial Street and the nearby blocks. <clears throat> Many of the cadets tried to climb into the molasses to pull people out, only to find themselves stuck. Every movement they made made them sink further in. Soon the Boston police, nurses from the Red Cross, the Army, and the Navy personnel arrived to help. Rescuers worked day and night, pulling people from the syrup and tending to the injured. There were so many injured, 
that doctors had to set up a makeshift hospital in a nearby warehouse. The rescue attempts went on for four days before they bothered to stop searching for victims. The dead were described to be so crushed by the syrup, because it just crushes you and it solidifies, yeah. and they were so glazed, barely any of the 21 could be recognized. That is horrifying. <clears throat> a fireboat was docked and used its high-power water cannons, usually meant to extinguish fires on aircraft carriers, to spray the caramelized streets of Boston with salt water, slowly washing away the syrup. This took a month of nonstop spraying with salt water. But um, the Boston Harbor water would stay brown, sticky, and sweet for six months until the end of summer. Wow. The initial cleanup took a month, but molasses remained a constant plague for a year. Rescuers, citizens, sightseers had all tracked molasses throughout the streets throughout Boston. It was on subway platforms, seats in cars and trains. Every telephone in Boston, every home had molasses on it. You couldn't escape being sticky. Quote, everything a Bostonian touched was sticky. Which is my personal hell. Yeah, I no. hate, if I make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, no, honey sandwich, and I've got honey on my fingers, I'm washing it immediately because I hate that. I touch something, I'm like, oh, there's lint on it, kill me. It's the <laughs> worst thing in the world. This is like tree sap. This is honey on steroids. It sounds uh, dreadful. Imagine living in that. Everything is sticky. I would have shaved my head long ago. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Following the disaster, 119 residents opened a class action lawsuit towards the United States Industrial Alcohol Company who bought the Purity Distilling Company two years prior. This is the first class action lawsuit in Massachusetts. Now, the company first tried to blame the tank collapse on terrorists, <laughs> claiming it had been blown up by anarchists, saying it was destroyed by, quote, evilly disposed persons. Now, I, I it's, it's fucking absurd. But I got to give them a little bit of credit here because, um, first off, they didn't believe that the syrup could have gained such speed without an initial explosion propelling it. And I get that. It's molasses. Mm -hmm. Secondly... Anarchists across the U.S. were making a lot of attacks on alcohol production plants because it was used in munitions. And the United States uh, Industrial Alcohol Company had received a threat a few years prior from a deranged man claiming he was going to blow up that exact tank with dynamite. So it's not outworldly. I mean, I it mean, is because they know I mean, of the structural issues. But it's not, they're not pulling this out of their ass. There's at least a ground to go on in regards to getting blown up by anarchists. The tank was built for water, and even then it was below standards. <laughs> it was like... so far below standards. Um, I, I, I didn't bother putting it in, but there was one report. Because um, what they did to test it was they filled it up with water to see if it yeah. leaked. Mm -hmm. And then the reports from that safety test were destroyed. <laughs> so all we have is confirmation that they did a water test before filling it with molasses but what the water test actually concluded because i'm assuming it looked like a looney tunes cartoon <laughs> when someone gets shot full of bullet holes and there's just streams of water coming out everywhere hey john so it's leaking out of every little crack uh over there Burn those fine, it'll be sky. fine <laughs> molasses is thicker nobody will notice <laughs> it leaks slower we'll be fine we'll have time <laughs> 
<coughs> so, uh. um, in 2016, a team of scientists and students from Harvard University did an extensive study on this disaster. They used maps, weather reports, and articles to determine the exact recipe of the syrup. They tracked its path, um, and they combined that with air pressure and temperature reports. And they concluded that the wave's speed and power was indeed physically sound. Now back to the case. Um, the case proceedings took five years. There were 1,500 exhibits introduced. Over 1,000 witnesses testified. Explosive experts were called in to investigate the anarchist terrorism claim. Uh, United States um, Industrial Alcohol Company employees were asked about the tank's structural integrity. The court appointed auditors that spent another three years investigating. The closing arguments alone took 11 weeks and finished in April of 1925. State Auditor Hugh W. Ogden ruled that the United States Industrial Alcohol Company was indeed responsible, and they were forced to pay $600,000, which is roughly $7 million in today's money, out of court to the relatives of those killed. This is roughly $7,000 per victim. Holy shit. Those killed and also injured, by the way. So, $7,000 per person involved. USA. 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 They made a wave of syrup that destroyed blocks of South Boston, and they paid 7000 per person to do that. That is... I, I can, like, imagine billionaires doing that for fun, if they find out that's, like... Almost. Like, yeah. that's, that's like a Batman villain level of... Yeah. You legally get away with it, provided you have the money beforehand. How has there not been a Batman episode where there was a molasses explosion? Molasses man! <laughs> I might move slow, but touch me and you're stuck forever! <laughs> uh. Today, the site of the tank is a city-owned recreational complex called Lang Langon? Langon? Langoon Park? Eh, one of those. It has a little league baseball field, a playground, and box courts. There's a small sign at the entrance that reads, quote, on January 15th, 1919, a molasses tank at 529th Commercial Street exploded under pressure, killing 21 people. A 40-foot wave of molasses buckled the elevated railroad tracks, crushed buildings, and inundated the neighborhood. Structural defects in the tank, combined with unseasonably warm temperatures, contributed to the disaster. To this day, residents of the area say that on a warm summer day, you still smell the sweet syrup coming up from the pavement and the bricks and their cellars of old buildings on Commercial Street. That was a hundred years ago. Yeah. Holy crap. That is the Great Boston Molasses Flood of 1919. <laughs> what a story. Holy <laughs> molasses. What? Ugh. <laughs> <sighs> That's. I'm gonna give it that. Terrifying. It has to be the sweetest disaster in history. Oh, yeah. And we're done. That was that was our <laughs> finale. That's that's it. Ugh. Uh, happy holidays, everyone. Jesus, <laughs> that's just terrifying. The density, the speed. It tore buildings off of foundations. It had a shock wave in front of the it. The shock wave. Like it's it will, will... insane. <sighs> Anyways, um, listeners, 
I highly suggest searching up the Boston Molasses Flood. My descriptions do not do the destruction justice. It looks like images from Hiroshima. It's insane. It looks like a bomb went off. Like, there's just, like, the railroads are just buckled into a knot. It's insane. Ugh. All right. Well, that's been the Great Boston Molasses Flood. Until next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.